damn it, Kyle. All right, we get it. We're in. We're all in. As the experts would say, actually, we've been, what, we've been all in for like 12, 13 days now. After O'Reilly and Achari, the Leafs were all in. And then after, what the hell was it, uh, McCabe and Lafferty, they were really all in. Now it's Luke Shen and <laughs> and Eric Gustafson. Uh, all in, I guess. What's going on, everybody? Matt Robinson with you in the Tall Can Audio Studios. We weren't really looking to do this yet this week, uh, as most of you probably heard on episode 1075. Uh, over the last week or so, we did uh, something like six shows in eight days or whatever. And so we just thought we'd, we'd let those settle a little bit. We'd let them breathe, and uh, we would do the same. But uh, on Monday, basically calling my bluff almost, uh, Kyle Dubas traded for Jake McCabe and Sam Lafferty. And I'm looking at it, and I thought about it, and I had a couple of thoughts, but nothing earth-shattering. And I'm just like, no, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go do a post-trade podcast. Going to take the rest of the day like we were planning and, uh, and you know, maybe get back at it kind of on Wednesday. And uh, I don't know, it kind of feels like he called my bluff a little. He's looking at me and saying, all right, all right, I see. And he goes out Tuesday, and he makes three goddamn trades. So the part of you then is sort of like, I guess I'll I'll go do something. We better talk about this. We, we we better talk about it. We better talk about everything that's gone on because the mid to late afternoon on Tuesday where the Toronto Maple Leafs made three different trades was absolutely insane. Uh, they weren't the only ones doing things. The Minnesota Wild go out and bring in Gustav Nyquist. Um, the Oilers go out and get Matthias Ekholm. That's a nice pickup for them. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that in a bit, but uh, there was a ton going on with still three days to go till the NHL trade deadline. I'm not sold that the Leafs are done, even as we sit here right now. Um, there's some, finan- some financial things, just looking at all the guys they have kicking around. They got like nine, ten defensemen, but still only 12 forwards. Something might have to change there. Uh, but we're just going to sort of take a walk through what the Leafs have done here over the last 48 hours and where that leaves them now. But one of the reasons to take a couple days off the podcast was meant to be to take a couple days off the beers. And if Kyle fucked with my plans to not do a podcast, I'm going to fuck with my own plans to not have a beer. So we're going to do that. Crack that. Let it breathe just a little bit. This is from the Folly Brewing Company. Talked about this a week or so ago. Our friend Dr. Vicky Forster from Toronto brought up uh, some stuff from there. It's a Toronto-based uh, brew pub. And this is their Sir Bobby Extra Special Bitter. And uh, oh, that's nice. Um, I don't know who Sir Bobby is. Now, Vicky did explain that to me, that it's named after a uh, a soccer player, an English soccer player, and this is paying some sort of tribute, whether it was during an event. Uh, I I can't remember the details. I meant to Google it before we fired up here. I didn't, since it would be lame radio for you guys to just sit here and listen to me Google. Um, We're just going to carry on because, frankly, I'm more interested in the beer than I am in the soccer player. Right. So, uh, like I said, the Sir Bobby Extra Special Bitter from the Folly Brew Pub down in Toronto. And uh, it's kind of copper in color as you're looking at it here. Oh, at the end there little bit of maybe an orange peel kind of flavor kicking in at the end. But it does have that ESB taste to it that I'm actually enjoying here tonight. So uh, 
Uh, shout out to the Folly Brew Pub and shout out to our friend Vicky for, uh, you know, for, for hooking us up with this. You'll excuse me if there's a couple little gaps here. While I'm not going to Google details on, uh, on beers, I am sort of keeping half an eye out for what might still be happening as we sit here and, and talk in case I'm missing anything. Um, I don't think the Leafs are done, but I did wait until I was reasonably confident that he was done for the night before coming in here to, to fire this up. So there was three trades kind of happened. Bang, 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 right in a row there on Tuesday afternoon. And, uh, you know, sort of took an hour or two to collect some thoughts and, and, uh, and everything. But let's start with Monday's trade because we haven't had a chance to talk about that yet. So on Monday, the Leafs trade their 2025 first round pick to Chicago. That's top 10 protected. If the Leafs should happen to miss the playoffs that year, and uh, end up with a top 10 draft, that would move back to 2026. Along with that pick, they send a second-round pick, and Joey Anderson and Pavel Gogolev. Now, uh, to Chicago, for Jake McCabe and Sam Lafferty, a 2025 fifth-round pick and a 2026 fifth-round pick. Also important to note here that... Jake McCabe has uh, two years left after this one with a $4 million cap hit. Chicago is eating half of that, not just for this year. You can't do that. It happens to be for the length of the contract. So the Leafs have, for the next two and a half years, Jake McCabe at $2 million. Sam Lafferty also has one year left at just over $1 million. I believe it's $1.1 that he's sitting at. So it's it's a first-round pick from the Leafs, a second-round pick from the Leafs, a third-round pick from the Leafs. Joey Anderson and Pavel Gogolev out the door. Pavel, wake me up before you go, go, Lev, uh, if you don't mind. Uh, and coming back, the big pieces there, I don't know what the point of the fifth round picks were. I guess you're just trying to restock the cabinet a bit. But it's it's about Jake McCabe and it's about Sam Lafferty. Jake McCabe is a top four defenseman and he has held his own in Chicago who have been absolutely terrible. Um, he has a positive goal differential on a team that is minus 55. That is nearly impossible to consider for a stay-at-home defenseman, and it is a credit to him. Not trying to pump the tires too much. Not trying to tell you this is an elite, top-pair, franchise-changing defenseman. I'm just saying that's impressive in Chicago this year. Sam Lafferty, ideally a fourth-round center, possibly right-winger, um, who's going to come in. He's very fast. He's gritty. He's not afraid to get in your face. He's not particularly big. I think he's only around six foot, uh, maybe 180, 190 pounds, something like that. But does not shy away from the physical stuff, does not shy away from contact. So that's what you're looking at with him. And it's interesting because it is another first round pick. And if you had said, you know, I'm not sure Jake McCabe is the guy that you would spend a first round pick on. I would probably have time for that, certainly in the rental conversation. But you did spend a first-round pick for a legit top-four defenseman for two more years at $2 million. That cap retention, that salary retention that Chicago is doing, that is essentially why this is a first-round pick. And that's sort of the asset management that they're looking to do here. When you look at how many picks they've traded this year, they're not going to be able to do this again next year, right? The cupboard's going to be pretty bare when it comes to draft picks. Maybe 
If you're in a good situation again, you consider trading some of the prospects that you didn't want to trade this year. But you're going to be down some assets. But you're not going to have to go and try and fill that top four spot again because you have Jake McCabe for not just this playoff run, but the next two as well. So that's why you look at that first round pick and you kind of go, it's a bit expensive, but you got to keep in mind that it's paying for salary retention for two years after this one. And Jake McCabe at $2 million a year is tremendous value, really good value. And if you start to look around and you start to look at who's going to be leaving, what's going to happen here in the next few months, Justin Hall is an unrestricted free agent, and Justin Hall makes, hmm, checks notes, $2 million a year. So this is probably your Justin Hall replacement. Leaf fans are very hot and cold on Justin Hall. I've been very hot and cold on Justin Hall. He's better than we think he is. But I don't think he's as good as he thinks he is sometimes when you look at some of the plays he tries to make, some of the ways he gets himself into trouble. But in the playoffs last year, certainly, and even the year before when things didn't go, like Justin Hall's been pretty good. Again, for a guy making $2 million a year, it, it's, I don't know, we seem to always just pick one defenseman and hate on that guy as a fan base. Um, I'm not sure Justin Hall deserves it, but when he's bad, he is very bad. For the most part this year, He's been really good um, in the doghouse a little bit lately. We saw him get healthy scratched again here recently, and there are moves coming that we're going to get to here in a second that may make him further expendable. But if nothing else, when you bring in Jake McCabe, it gives you Justin Hall insurance next year. If Justin Hall leaves as an unrestricted free agent, which is entirely likely at this point, you slot Jake McCabe in there and you carry on. That isn't to say that Justin Hall necessarily stays through the trade deadline with the way they're throwing picks around, the way they just brought in another right-handed defenseman. We'll see. We'll see. But you can now, if you want to, trade Justin Hall before the deadline, and you can clear that $2 million from Justin Hall off your salary cap, or you can keep the depth. You can have them both for this playoff run and let one leave as an unrestricted free agent. That option remains for you. Sam Lafferty. Uh, we'll see. He'd been kind of up and down, fairly unimpressive in Pittsburgh, but was having a pretty nice year in Chicago this year. I think he's sitting at 10 goals, which is already a career high. There's 20 games to go. You're not bringing him in though for his offense. This is a fourth line style player. Like I said, a little faster than your typical fourth line guy. He's going to get in on the four check. He's going to do those sorts of things. But again, you have him next year too at right around $1 million. And if it doesn't work out, that is a fully variable contract. You can send that guy to the minors. It will disappear from your salary cap. So this is a no-risk play. Now, I think he's better than that. I don't think you're going to find yourself wanting to send him to the minors. But if that is the way things play out, if you're not happy, that is, uh, you know, that's on the table for you. And they got some UFAs up front as well. David Kampf is an unrestricted free agent. Alex Kerfoot is an unrestricted free agent. Noel Achari is an unrestricted free agent. We don't know which of those guys are going to get re-signed and stay. We don't know which guys are going to leave. But again, this is a guy who can play on your fourth line next year at a pretty cheap number. You're not going to be unhappy with him in that spot. So it's expensive. I understand when you pay a first and a second and a third 
And don't even worry about Pavel Gogolev and, and Joey Anderson. Those are co- uh, contract balances. I've mentioned that on previous episodes. You're only allowed to have 50 guys under contract as a franchise. And so if you're going to bring in two, like Jake McCabe and Sam Lafferty, you're better off sending two out, right? You don't want to get too close to that 50. It, it doesn't allow you to do things, right? If, if someone offers you a two-for-one trade and you don't have the room, um, Pavel Gogolev... He's just a guy. That's it. He's just a guy. You're not going to miss him. And Joey Anderson, I kind of like Joey Anderson, but it was crystal clear Sheldon Keefe did not trust him. As a third or fourth line guy, he had reasonable speed. He wasn't afraid to battle along the boards. Um, and I think he probably had a little more offensive punch than what we saw. But part of that was just the situations that Sheldon Keefe was playing him in. And Keefe, it was obvious, regardless of what you and I might have thought of him. Maybe you didn't like him. Like I said, I kind of did. Sheldon Keefe didn't trust him. So if your coach doesn't trust you and you're suddenly bringing in these other third and fourth line guys anyway, punt this one out the door. Let him have a chance somewhere else. He will play the rest of the season in Chicago. Um, he's plenty good enough to play on that roster. So that was an easy one to to let go. Uh, maybe one last point or two here on Jake McCabe because he is the bigger piece. He is a legit top four guy, and the Leafs say they're viewing him as the Jake Muzzin replacement. And I guess he does have some of the same utility as Jake Muzzin, does have some of the same abilities as Jake Muzzin. He is more physical than most of the guys. Actually, he becomes immediately uh, the leading hitter on the Leafs, so for whatever that's worth to you. Also would be the leading fighter for whatever that's worth to you. So he does do some of those Jake Muzzin things, but make no mistake, he is not Jake Muzzin. Jake Muzzin did all of those things at a top pair level. Jake McCabe on a Stanley Cup contending team, which the Leafs think they are, is not a top pair guy, I don't think. He isn't quite Jake Muzzin. Like I said, he does Jake Muzzin things, but he doesn't do them quite as well as Jake Muzzin. Now, you're going to be happy to have him. He is a shoe-in to play in game one of the playoffs. Your absolute locks are Riley, Brody, Giordano, and McCabe. Whether those four guys play in pairs or together remains to be seen, and there's going to be shuffling here, and we're going to talk about some of it here in just a second. But he immediately, you know, deepens your blue line. And so he can kill penalties. He is a defense guy first. He's not a an anchor. He's not like a Martin Marinson defense first kind of guy. Um, he can break it out, but he's not going to be, you know, much of an offensive contributor. And like I said, Muzzin could do that a little bit. Muzzin was going to chip in with some goals. I don't see much of that from Jake McCabe, but the other things that you're bringing him in for, being physical on the penalty kill, these sorts of things, he can do that. He won't do it quite as well as Muzzin, but he's going to do that stuff better than almost anybody else you had on the roster. So I like it, especially at $2 million, especially with that cap retention, that salary retention we talked about earlier on. This is slam dunk. Jake McCabe for two more years after this one at $2 million. You'll take that every single day. So that's Monday. Like I said, I'm sort of looking at it after this all shakes loose. Like I said, nah, I like it. It's not a bad deal. But I'm not coming in here to, to do a show over it. We'll stick to our guns. We're not going to do anything. Uh, Tuesday, mid-afternoon... The phone starts blowing up. You're getting alerts. You're getting text messages from people. Holy shit. What's going on? You jump on Twitter. And you find out the first of three moves of the day has gone down. Now, at the time, I did sort of suspect 
and and I think I mentioned on Twitter at Talkin Audio, you can follow us there. That after Monday's moves, I expected there to be more because they were slightly over the cap in terms of what they would be able to have when they need to bring Matt Murray back. Someone was going to have to go. Now there was talk you could wave Hall, you could wave Kerfoot, you could trade one of those guys. Joseph Wall was going to go down. Um, you know, but somebody had to go off the roster. Someone who made at least $1.1 million. So there was clearly on Monday night more to come. I don't think anybody saw the storm that ended up coming on Tuesday. So the first deal that rolls in is we find out that Rasmus Sandin has been traded to the Washington Capitals for Eric Gustafson and a first round pick. The first round pick is Boston's. If you recall last week, Boston traded their first round pick to Washington to get Dmitry Orlov and Garnet Hathaway. Rob and I talked about that trade on episode 1075 that dropped for you on Monday morning. It's a great trade for them. So the first round pick that the Leafs are getting is Boston's and it's coming from Washington with Eric Gustafson for Rasmus Sandin. Let's talk about Sandin for a second. And this is, this is disappointing. Um, I liked Sandin, but I understand why they did this. You could see after the moves they made on Monday, bringing in Jake McCabe, it was going to be tough for Sandine to crack that game one playoff lineup. Depending on what you want to do, because McCabe can play left side or right side. But in all likelihood, I think you're going to see Riley, McCabe, Giordano down the left side. Things are getting a little tight over on the right side as well. Um, you know, we got Connor Timmons. I don't think you're going to see Connor Timmons in the playoffs, but he is there for depth. They're going to work with them, see if they can turn them into something. But you have Justin Hall, you have Timothy Liljegren, you have TJ Brody. And it just looked unlikely that Rasmus Sandin was going to be able to squeak his way in there. And we'd already heard going back to the summer when they had all that trouble getting a contract done with this guy. That he was unhappy with his amount of playing time. He thought the Giordano trade last year was blocking his opportunities to get minutes especially before Muzzin ended up getting hurt. And after Muzzin got hurt, Sandine did get in there, um, which always happens. Someone gets hurt. There's always a chance. Uh, or There's always an injury that, uh, that is going to open up a door for someone like Sandine. And I never really felt like he grabbed it this year. I didn't think he was bad. Um, but there's not a great fit for him. He has one year left under this contract at, somewhere in the neighborhood of $1.3 million or something like that. If that number jumps out at you, remember that I just said a few minutes ago, the Leafs had to deal someone making 1.1 or more. And that probably made Sandine a little uncomfortable right away, knowing that another left-handed defenseman had just come in the mix. But Rasmus Sandine's skill set is blocked right now in Toronto. Morgan Riley is your number one defenseman on the left side. He's also likely for the extent of his contract to be the number one defenseman on the number one power play. And when Rasmus Sandin didn't this year step up and become kind of a top four guy, a shutdown guy, a PK guy, which isn't really in his DNA anyway, it limits his value to you. If he can't have that spot that Morgan Riley has and he can't be a PK guy, well, we're running out of jobs for you. 
So he's still young enough that he had value. The Leafs could see as well as Sandine could that he's kind of blocked right now. Moving forward, you're going to have McCabe and Riley presumably on the left side and then Giordano at least next year. I don't know what Sandine's role was going to be here. So if someone says to you, we're going to give you a first round pick for that guy, it's probably better that you do it now. You can wait another year. You can have another argument in arbitration after that year. And you find yourself in Travis Dermott territory where you're waiting, right? This guy's clearly a perfectly capable third pair defenseman. So we assume he'll take the step and become a second pair defenseman. And some guys just never do. And by the time you figure it out, the rest of the leagues figured it out too. And there's no trade value there. So if you're the Leafs and you've already dealt a bunch of picks, including two first round picks, and another team is saying to you, hey, we'll give you a first round pick for that guy that you already know is blocked, who's still young, still cheap. This is why he's valuable to Washington too. You're better off to just go ahead and do it. And so that's what they did. Eric Gustafson comes back. He's making about 800 grand. He's Rasmus Sandin, but on an expiring contract, older. When I say he's Rasmus Sandin, I mean, he's a purely offensive defenseman. If someone were to get hurt, like he's depth. I don't envision any scenario where he starts game one. We've already listed how many defensemen the Toronto Maple Leafs have in the system right now. I don't envision anyone getting traded before the deadline that's going to open up a spot for Eric Gustafson. But should you get an injury... Should you need someone who can step in and run a power play, he can do that. And he's doing it cheaper than Rasmus Sandin. Like I said, Rasmus Sandin making over a million dollars. Eric Gustafson at closer to 800 grand. Every penny matters right now. And then at the end of the season, he probably walks. He's an unrestricted free agent anyway. It, it, you know, He's just a guy who's there for depth. I wouldn't worry much about him. Frankly, I wouldn't even be shocked if by the deadline... You know, they're up against it. Someone has to go on waivers if he's the guy. Like, I don't think they'll sweat it if they have to lose him somehow. But that's not the plan. He's depth. He's your seventh or eighth guy. Not bad. You're disappointed to see that it didn't work out with Sandine. But he's going to have, I think, a long NHL career as kind of a four, five, six guy. But his path in Toronto was blocked. He needs to go develop and play somewhere. This is not a development year for Toronto. Toronto's trying to win right now. So they get their first round pick. Rasmus Sandin gets to go play. And we'll see with that first round pick. It is Boston's pick. So I don't know how much value it will have because you got to envision that's going to be late, late, late in the first round. But you have a first round pick again that, that you can deal in another trade if you want to. If you want to just use it as a replacement for the two that you've traded away, right? You've, you've recovered a little bit of that draft capital. That's fine. But you also now have that in your back pocket. If on Friday, on trade deadline day, last minute, someone comes to you and says, hey, we'll give you somebody who can kind of help you out as a middle six scoring left winger. Are you interested? Then yeah, you, you have that to deal again. So tiny piece of work there. No more than a half hour later. Excuse me, there are the... Uh, the bitter's nice. No more than a half hour later, uh, the Leafs turn around and trade Pierre Engvall to the New York Islanders for a third round pick. 
Now, these next, this move and the next move happened pretty much bang, bang. Like, they were clearly related. Dubas knew he was going to do both when he made the first one. But let's just start here. Pierre Ingvall is one of the most divisive players that the Leafs have had in quite some time. All the fancy stat people, all the nerds love Pierre Ingvall. I like Pierre Ingvall. I don't love him. Um, I get why the fancy stats favor this guy. He's fast. He gets in. He's got an okay shot. You can use him on a second power play if you need to. He has developed okay. But this is a guy that will literally dive out of the way of any contact. He vanishes in the playoffs. Has both of the last two years. When it gets hard, when you have to go into the corner, he becomes what people think William Nylander becomes. Willie's totally fine to go in battle. Will he win most of those battles? Probably not. But he does not shy away the way, the way people claim that he does. Pierre Ingvall does. He does not wish to get things ramped up on him. He does not wish to get involved in any kind of contact. And he just totally loses all of his ability in the playoffs. Whether it's the pressure getting to him, whether it's the physicality getting to him, I don't know. But during the regular season, when you're just counting, you know, takeaways and, and his rushes up the ice and the speed that he brings and the way he can kind of get in in the offensive zone and kind of cycle around, hold the puck for a long time, make it seem like you're doing something when not a ton is happening, that can kind of fool some of the calculations that are happening on the other statistics. So I didn't hate Pierre Ingvall. He was okay on the third line with David Kampf in kind of a defensive role. Kampf was very good on the face-offs. Um, if you could get it to Ingvall, he could skate it out of the zone pretty well. He could gain the offensive zone pretty well. But if it required somebody to go to the boards and cycle, Pierre Ingvall was taking a pass and heading for the bench. So you're trading that guy. The Islanders give you a third-round pick. Uh about 20 minutes, like I said, after this trade, the Leafs trade a third-round pick to the Vancouver Canucks for Luke Shen. The boyhood dream has come true, the old Shawn Michaels line. You're the one that got away, right? Luke Shen, 18 years old, thrown to the Wolves as a rookie on a terrible Leafs team, asked to be the guy way too early, shouldering way too much responsibility in the league's, you know, most heavily scrutinized market. It was rough on him, and he bounced around for a long time. Um, you know, he was he was in Philadelphia, Los Angeles, Arizona, Anaheim, all before he ends up in Tampa Bay, where he gets himself a couple of Stanley Cup rings. Now, a lot of the people who've been claiming for like two years now that the Leafs should go bring Luke Shen back will tell you what a key contributor Luke Shen was to the Tampa Bay Lightning success, and that's why Toronto should be interested. In actuality, Luke Shen played in only 19 of 48 games over those two Stanley Cup runs with the Tampa Bay Lightning. He was not a key contributor. He was a contributor. He was fine. If you get in the lineup in the playoffs for a team that wins the Stanley Cup, you deserve to get your name on the cup. You deserve the ring as much as everybody else. But this was not a guy playing significant minutes in Tampa's top six, night in, night out, making sure they got this done. He was kind of a 6-7 guy in and out of the lineup who even afterwards ended up signing in Vancouver at almost league minimum. Vancouver's terrible. 
and they were one of the only teams willing to sign Luke Shen, and it was at near league minimum. So that's how much the rest of the league still valued Luke Shen. Now, I like Luke Shen. I was going to a lot of Toronto Maple Leaf games back when he was a rookie. Eight, nine, ten games a year, something like that. And they were terrible. The team was awful. And you could see Luke Shen doing his best to try and fit in, make his way. But they always say for young defensemen, like that's the hardest position to break into the league. And he wasn't even given the, like he wasn't a defenseman like Drew Doughty or later on like Kale McCarr, who had these huge offensive weapons that could at least kind of bail him out sometimes. He was strictly a stay-at-home defensive defenseman. And it takes time to develop the instincts to do that job and the size and the strength. Everyone kept trying to say, this is going to be our Adam Foote. Well, that never panned out. And Adam Foote was not Adam Foote at 18 and 19 years old. And he wasn't being asked to be like the number two defenseman on a god-awful team like the Toronto Maple Leafs were the year or two following uh, Luke Shen's draft. So he's bounced around. He's been a journeyman. He's got a couple cup rings. By all accounts, he's thrilled to be coming back to Toronto. And frankly, I'm happy to see him. But I'm not convinced he's in your top six if everybody's healthy. Now, all of this can change if there's another trade. Oh, see, my Apple Watch, it's buzzing here. Got to take a sec. We got to figure out if something else happened. No, no. Just a text. False alarm. I normally put that on do not disturb while I'm in here. I'm not sure what I forgot about there. I'm not convinced he's in your top six. But nobody, if the Leafs go where the Leafs hope to go, nobody gets that done with only six defensemen. Guys get hurt. Guys get beat up. Guys get suspended. If you're going to go four rounds, you're going to need some bodies. That's what I think Luke Shen is. He's going to be good experience in the room. He'll probably get in for a game or two. But I would imagine on the right side of that defense, it's going to be in some order or another, Justin Hall, Timothy Liljegren, and TJ Brody. Now, last year, Liljegren struggled. And I think Shen is insurance for Liljegren. I think Timothy Liljegren's been very good this year. I think there's been growth there. I want him in my game one playoff lineup, but I wanted him in my game one playoff lineup last year. And while he wasn't as good then as he is now, he was getting pushed around a lot in front of the net. Like there's some video out there and I'm sure you can remember there's one where Corey Perry just like cross checks him in the back and he just kind of collapses because he wasn't all that strong on his skates. Um, Other times where like he's not getting beat terribly on the rush, but when the play inevitably goes to the front of the net, where in the playoffs it does a lot, he was getting outmatched there. That probably wouldn't happen to Luke Shen. Luke Shen at this point is a strong guy, a nasty guy. He'll hit, he'll fight, he'll do those sorts of things. He'll he'll do the face wash bullshit with everybody after the whistle. And maybe there's going to be times, depending on the opponent, depending on how the series is going, where you decide you need that. Um, I think it's mostly injury protection. And a third-round pick is a lot to pay for, like, a 7th or 8th D. But, you know, maybe they feel like they need that. I think it's mostly injury protection. 
But if they see in round one that Liljegren's getting pushed around and he's just still not quite where they need him to be, then I could see Luke Shen drawing in on the third pair at that point. And then at what point, like how you want to set that up, I, I don't know. Like in theory, you know, maybe he's a stay-at-home guy like Ron Hainsey was or, or whatever for Morgan Riley. But then that pairing is going to see a lot of ice time, probably more than you want Luke Shen to see. I imagine, and I think in the, the skate today, we saw McCabe playing with Brody. And I assume all of this stuff is going to change a lot. It's going to be shaken up over the next 20 games and we see who fits with who. But I imagine starting it this way is to see if those two have any chemistry and that would be your shutdown pair. Then you'd have Giordano, Hall, and I guess Shen and Riley. I don't love it. They tried that last year with Labushkin, right? Brought in Labushkin around the deadline. He's just sort of a physical defenseman, and he's fine. He's clearly an NHL defenseman, but they tried to to galaxy brain it and go, well, maybe you'd be the good stay-at-home guy for Morgan Riley, but you need Morgan Riley playing a lot of minutes, and Labushkin wasn't up to that. I don't think Shen's up to that either. So that's why I think Shen is a guy that they have brought in not to be top six, but to be insurance or to be, you know, in case of an injury. So the question is, after all that, it's been a busy 24 hours. Are they better? And I don't know. I don't know that they're better. They're different. But are they better? They were definitely better after the O'Reilly and Achari deal. I think they were better after the deal on Monday. But trading away Sandine in favor of Luke Shen, I'm not sure if today made them better. But maybe that wasn't the point. They were good last year. They were really good last year. Franchise record in points, 115 points, whatever it was. They did not get run out of the barn against Tampa Bay in round one. That was a battle right to the finish, and they lost 2-1 in game seven. It doesn't get any closer. So how much better did they feel like they needed to get? Or did they feel like we're good enough, but we need a different element? We need a different approach. We need a different mindset at times in the room. And that, for better or worse, has happened. When you bring in five, six new guys, you're talking about like 25% of your lineup. They've made big changes to the personality of the locker room. And we can talk about on-ice chemistry. You can talk about off-ice chemistry. This is a big change to the locker room and to the on-ice lineup. You're already seeing it in the way some of the the pundits are talking about this. People who have in the past said Kyle Dubas hasn't done enough are now saying Kyle Dubas has done too much. People who have said for years, especially here in Ottawa, some of you are friends of the show, you know who you are, have said this team needs a different attitude. It doesn't have enough killer instinct. And then as soon as they go out and get the attitude and the killer instinct, it's, well, probably changed too much. Well, which is it? Were they too soft and needed to change or didn't they? 
I don't know as I sit here right now, but the people making royal proclamations on Twitter right now that clearly, clearly conflict with their previous royal proclamations, we see you. We know what you're doing. Anything to try and get one over on the buds, right? Like I said, not sure they're better after Tuesday's moves, but they're absolutely different. And if you're one of those people who thought going into the playoffs last couple years, they were too soft and there wasn't enough fuck you in their lineup, there's plenty of fuck you in it now. Between O'Reilly and Achari and McCabe and Lafferty and Shen, these are guys that will not shy away from contact or physicality. Some of them won't be as helpful as what you gave up when it comes to rushing the puck, scoring the puck, making plays. Rasmus Sandin can make a play. Can Luke Shen? I don't know. Pierre Ingvall could make a play. Can Sam Lafferty? I don't know. But neither of the two guys that I just mentioned that left the Leafs were going to bury somebody through the goddamn boards. And I promise you, given the opportunity, Luke Shen and Sam Lafferty will bury somebody through the goddamn boards. So it's different. Only time will tell if it's better. But it's different. So there you have it. Busy couple days. I guess just before we get out of here, I'll mention the uh, Matthias Ekholm deal to the Oilers. It was expensive for the Oilers. Not as bad as it looked like at one point there was talk that Kyler Yamamoto was going to be part of that deal. That would have been bad because the Oilers have already, uh, earlier today, earlier Tuesday, traded Yessi Pugliarvi. That's a whole thing. That, the way that relationship just hit the shitter in Edmonton. But they had traded him to Carolina. And if they had traded Kyler Yamamoto, there's two middle six right wingers. And things get pretty soft there in a hurry. But it looks like they managed to hang on to him. First round pick going. Really good prospect going. And uh, Tyson Berry going. Which is interesting because he was part of an absolutely elite power play that they have there in Edmonton. Uh, I assume Evan Bouchard would step into that role now, but I don't believe Tyson Berry was the guy responsible for this particularly hot power play. When you have two of the top five players in the league on it with McDavid and Dreisaitl, I would make this deal if I was Edmonton. I, I think that was a shrewd move by the Oilers. They couldn't fuck around any longer. They've had quiet deadlines before. You got Dreisaitl and McDavid in their primes and the prime of their primes. When you look at what Connor McDavid is doing, he's at 50 goddamn goals already. They had to do something on defense. And I like this defenseman for them. This guy is elite at getting back and picking up dump ins into his zone. He stops the cycle before it starts. You don't get hemmed in. He doesn't get a ton of points. He's pretty good in transition though, right? Gets back, get those dump-ins, make a pass, get it out of the zone, and back on the stick of Ryan Nugent Hopkins and and Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and Zach Hyman. You have all these elite forwards. You can't have them hemmed in their own end because a defenseman can't make a play to get out. And so Ekholm, he's not going to allow them to get hemmed in when he's on the ice. He gets back, he breaks up the cycle, he retrieves the dump in, and he makes a play to get it out. 
He's pretty good skating it out. He's pretty good at getting it in. That's sort of where it ends for him. He doesn't put up a ton of points, although he will now, by default. If you make a breakout pass to Connor McDavid, there's a good chance that at worst, you're getting a secondary assist. So he'll have, his points will go up here a little bit. It was an expensive deal for the Oilers, but I like this better than the Carlson play. I like this better than Gavrikov. Gavrikov is... Columbus has completely botched this. And I said on the podcast probably six weeks ago when the insiders were saying that Columbus was looking for a first and a third for Gavrikov. And they had set that price based on what they got for David Savard a year or two ago, which was a first and a fourth. Like, well, fuck. A few people pay for shitty third pair defensemen. If that's the price, then why wouldn't we try this one? Here, let's go a first and a third for Gavrikov. And I said at the time, no chance. I am not paying that for Ladislav Gavrikov. And I'll be surprised if anybody does. Boston, by all accounts, last week had a deal in place with Columbus, turned their back on it when they saw that Dmitry Orlov from Washington was available, went and made that, that deal. Columbus was pretty sour about that, said we thought we had something lined up. Boston disagreed. And they're still sitting there now with their dick in their hands. Toronto was supposed to be a place Gavrikov would go. They went and did Jake McCabe instead. Boston was supposed to be a place that Gavrikov might go. They went and did Dmitry Orlov instead. Edmonton was a place that Ladislav Gavrikov might go. And they went and did Ekholm instead. Who's still out there looking for a top four defenseman who frankly isn't very good? He's just not. He's physical. He's all the things that we say we need in the playoffs. Oh, he's, you got to have some fuck you. You got to elbow. You got to. Cr- yeah, he'll do those things, but you're getting caved in while he's on the ice. He's busy face washing someone while the puck is in front of his net. It's okay to have that mean element, but it can't be at the expense of your actual job. And that's Ladislav Gavrikov to me. So I don't know what Columbus is going to do now. I assume they'll still trade him. He's unrestricted. But instead of getting a first and a third, as we sit here right now on Tuesday night, I'll be surprised if they manage to get a second for that guy. It's a game of musical chairs and the seats have filled up. Everyone looked at what Yarmo Kekalainen, and their GM in Columbus was asking for for Gavrikov and said, fuck that. And you waited so long that now the teams that might have circled back and given you just the first or something along those lines, they went and did something else. So good luck getting one now. It's not going to be a first and a third. I, I, if you ask me right now, I'd say it's going to be a second round pick. That's probably good for tonight. Like I said, we weren't going to pot at all. And, uh, at some point, it just <laughs> became difficult not to. So, just taking a quick scroll here, see if anything else of interest has happened. Sens are up 4-1 on Detroit uh, after the first period. This was a huge home-and-home for them. They beat uh, Detroit in Game 1, and uh, if they win this one, I know a lot of fans will say they're still alive. they got a lot of work to do. There'll be a lot of teams still to pass that are in the mix, but I guess... If you want, you could say they're still alive. Interesting here, Sportsnet Stats says that after the first period here in Ottawa, Detroit on uh, Tuesday night, uh, Ottawa scored 
power play goal, a shorthanded goal, an even strength goal, and a penalty shot goal in one period for the first time in franchise history, which is uh, kind of crazy. Good for them. Uh, maybe that'll twist Pierre Dorian's arm a little bit. Maybe he will have to add something at the deadline, but, uh, but we'll see. I was going to talk a little about John Jones returning to the heavyweight division at UFC 286 this weekend, but, uh, ended up going a little longer here on the Leafs than I expected to. So we'll save that. We'll get to that maybe later in the week. So in the meantime, let's wrap this up. My name is Matt Robinson. We are on social media at Talkin Audio. Give us a follow there. And uh, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast wherever you're hearing us, whether it be Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you are, hit follow, hit subscribe. And with that, we're out of here. Fuck, man. Thank you, guys. That's it. Not work under these conditions. If anybody wants me, I'll be downstairs at McDougal. Call the weekend guy. I don't care.